Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. Uh, getting excited that uh, we may be back together soon. And as a church, one of the greatest things is to be a church. Church means an assembly, and we want to be uh, an assembly again. As a family of believers uh, committed to and dedicated to worshiping God the Father in spirit and truth, one of those aspects obviously is us being together in a, a personal way. So we hope that's possible soon. We'll be able to worship together in spirit and truth, share Christ Jesus with the world around us, see lives transformed literally in their presence. We've had baptisms while we've been separated, but not been able to bend together to even do that. So uh, to see uh, that transformation begin to happen, we want to be a part of that. And then uh, to be a part of serving the world around us. It's kind of hard to do that isolated the way we've been, but we want to be a part of that uh, because the Holy Spirit works upon our heart to make us uh, people who want to be kind and good to all. Uh, we're beginning a, a new series today, um, Mechanical Instruments and the Holy Praise. It's a three-part series on the idea of using Old Testament Hebrew words uh, explaining how they worshipped and the effects that worship had upon them. And uh, we're going to look at nine over the next three weeks. Today, we're looking at halal, uh, yada, and tuda. And those are the Hebrew words we're looking at today. Um, before we get into that, though, if you would uh, pray with me even now. Holy Father, uh, we always need your help. We always come to you because we really have no other. Otherwise, it's just on us. And we need you, Father. We need your help. Help us to be a church that welcomes all, Father. Um, help us to be the kind of people that make other people feel like they belong with us. We pray, Father, that uh, everybody that's outside our fellowship will realize you don't have to believe to belong with us. You don't have to believe like us to come and be with us. For uh, none of us come perfect, Father, and uh, you've You've made us uh, perfect through Jesus, not by our own works. And so, Father, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see past the way the world sees everybody. Help us to see each other uh, the way you see us, Father. Uh, we pray that you would help us to realize that the church is for everyone, whether they be rich or poor, uh, whether they be healthy or sick whether they be an illegal alien or a proper citizen of this country. Father, we pray that whether they're a migrant worker or an executive in a big corporation, that they'll feel welcome, that whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, whether they're gay or straight, or whether they're a policeman or a criminal, Father. We pray that uh, whether someone is a white supremacist or, for that matter, a black supremacist, Father, we pray that whether they're a woman or a man or, for whatever reason, feel neutral on that. We pray, Father, for those who are fornicators and for those who are Puritans that would never do such a thing. And we pray for the atheist and the believer, for the person who believes that uh, you created the world in six days, and for those who are evolutionists. Lord, we pray that the abused and the abuser would still feel that they could come, Father, for the drunkard or the teetotaler that would never drink, that they would still feel welcome 
We pray for those who are revelers and those who are wallflowers. Lord, we want to be the place where anybody and everybody could come in and hear your word, worship you, make a contact with you, and develop a relationship with you, Father. We all brought our baggage when we came, and you overlooked it all. We pray, Father, that we'll do the same for others, that uh, they'll see that we've been washed, that we've been sanctified, that we've been justified by the blood of your Son, Jesus, our Lord, and that that's what they'll want, that they'll want to be a part of the one body, the one new man, the one family. And we pray, Father, that our worship today and our study today will bring us greater understanding about how we should worship in spirit and in truth. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So now we begin this series on praise and worship and the holy praise words that are used in the Old Testament particularly. And we're going to be dealing with the subject of mechanical instruments as well, which is kind of an interesting uh, put together, but I believe that you'll see why I wanted to do that. You see, praise is not always praise. What's intended maybe even to be praise is not always praise. It's not always sincere. Praise is not always sincere, and it's not always even true praise. Uh, It's like this one guy said, I was constantly praised and flattered by a colony of ants. As it turns out, they were sycophants. So (laughs) you'll have to think about that one in a little bit. But it's not always well-received, and it's not always appreciated. One guy said, I praised my friend on their uh, new mustache, and she's not my friend anymore. So, I mean, it depends on the individual and how you say what you say, what you mean by what you say. Unlike a mechanism, a mechanism cannot. But I can worship God because I have a head, I have a mind, and unlike a mechanism, a mechanism can't do that. See, mechanisms are lifeless and therefore cannot worship God. Leviticus 26 and verse 30 said, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. So an idol was considered a lifeless form, a man-made thing. Mechanisms are inventions and therefore cannot worship God. Amos 6 and verse 5, who sing idly to the sound of string instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David. So they're ultimately for us, not really for God. Mechanisms are made by hands and therefore cannot worship. Isaiah 2 and verse 8 says, Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. So the things that my fingers make cannot literally worship God. Mechanisms are made by hands and therefore cannot worship an infinite God that is a spirit or a mind, if you will. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25 says, God who made the world and everything in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And listen to this statement, verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So it's not even possible for the hands of men to worship God. But then someone will say, well, what about Psalm 150, for example? Doesn't that prove that mechanisms can praise the Lord? Well, the problem is, is that you is always implied. Whenever it says praise the Lord, you is implied. I mean, you don't always have to use every word, but it's clearly in that text, you praise the Lord. And then the last verse, verse six says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So literally it was always intended to praise God, but through the man. The man praises God. Mechanical instruments cannot make music that just by itself worships God. It can make music, but only I can actually worship God. And therefore, I am the one responsible here. Uh, Only I can sing, for example, to God's name. Listen to this statement of Romans 15, verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, that's a quote from the Old Testament, Psalms 18, verse 49. So literally, you only a human can literally sing to the name of the Lord or even say the name of the Lord. Only I can sing with the Spirit and with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Instruments, mechanical, otherwise, cannot do it with understanding nor with their spirit because they don't have it. Only I can sing and speak to my brother, Ephesians 5 and verse 19, speaking to one another, that is my brethren, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Only I can do that. Uh, a, me- a mechanism can't do any of that. Only I can sing and teach my brother. Listen to Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Again, only I, as a human, can teach my brother. Only you, as a human, can teach me. When we're singing, that that takes place. And only I can sing and assemble with the brethren. Uh, You know, machinery cannot decide to assemble. Hebrews 2 and verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praises to you. Now, I know some of this sounds a little simplistic to you. I I know what you're probably thinking right now, but you stay with me because what I'm saying underneath this is very true and you cannot deny it. Only I can sing and be cheerful, for example. James 5 and verse 13, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. You know, mechanisms just can't do it. The point is, is that the only thing that actually worships God is you and me. It's, it's so clearly true that it's almost silly to mention it, isn't it? 
the arguments to not show the usual argument, this, this argument is just to show you the basic underlying truth. It's not the usual argument based on what's called the regulatory principle of worship or the RPW. And the regulatory principle of worship is very old. It's around 400 years old. Uh, we know that it was in existence in 1646, but it was older than that. We really don't know how old it is. It may go back to the New Testament times, literally. We don't know. Uh, it's recorded in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And if you don't know the regulatory principle of, of worship, uh, let me read that, and, and I can maybe explain it a little bit, even though that's not what this lesson is about. It, it says this, The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited to his own revealed will, that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Then it lists some of the scriptures that teach that, Exodus 24 and 6, Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 20, Deuteronomy 12, 32, Matthew 4, 9 through 10, Matthew 15, verse 9, Acts 17, 25, Colossians 2, 23. Not going into any of that, and I'm not trying to press forward that argument of the regulatory principle of worship. But it is a valid argument. Basically, it's, put it in a nutshell, that which is not authorized by God directly should not be used because God knows how he wants to be worshipped and he spelled it out for us. That's basically it. Now, this series is going to focus on man as the only instrument that can actually worship God acceptably. Now, here's the point, though, you need to get that doesn't mean when you don't have instruments in worship that they're not instruments in worship. I know that doesn't sound true, but stay with me just a second. If while in worship, I am not focused on what I am doing, my heart is not in it, my spirit is not in it, or if I'm not living correctly when I worship and I'm living poorly in my life and I am not trying to serve the Lord, then I become only a mechanical instrument of music. And so instrumental music happens in every service of every worship assembly probably that's ever occurred. But it shouldn't happen because that isn't worship. It's only worship when it's in spirit and in truth from a true heart, from a human. That's the real worship. So I want to look at three words, though, from the Old Testament that kind of jump out at us and challenge us to think deeper about where our head should be, where our heart should be, how we should be focusing when we are worshiping, because God really does want to be worshiped appropriately, and that's something we should all strive for. So I want to look at those just three today. We'll look at three more, Lord willing, next week and three more the next. But today, the first one is the holy praise of halal. And it's spelled H-A-L-L-A-L. And if you have the outline, then you fill in the blank because the meaning of that is to praise or to celebrate or to boast or to rave or to be clamorously foolish. That's right. To praise, celebrate, boast, rave, or be clamorously foolish. 
Now, it's the most common word in the Old Testament used for praise. It's the primary word whenever you, just about every time you read the word praise, it's halal. And it has the idea of this exuberance, this almost clamorous, foolish kind of, I'm so excited and thrilled. It kind of reminds you of people who attend football games, for example. Uh, In a football game, we'll shout, we'll scream for our team, and everybody thinks that's normal. But if you do that at church, everybody's going to look at you funny. It's not significant that you have to make these noises for it to be acceptable, but it should be in your heart, in your mind, to praise and to celebrate, to boast, to rave, and to be even clamorously foolish about God in your heart. Psalm 113, uh, verses 1 through 3 says this, uh, praise the Lord, it's the law, uh, praise the Lord, praise, again, same word, O servants of the Lord, praise, again, the same word, the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, verse 3, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised, or halal. So that's what we are to do. We are to praise, to celebrate, to boast about God, to rave over God, to be even clamorously foolish about God in the way that we try to express how great we think God is. And only we can halal. Only humans can do this. Only humans can praise and celebrate and boast and rave and act clamorously foolish about the Lord. Therefore, that's our duty to do that. The second word that's in this study today, the holy praise word of yada. That's Y-A-D-A-H. It comes from yad, which is for a hand. And this, this word literally means, in worship, it means to cast, uh, to show, like to display or to point to or revere or to worship even with extended hands or to extend yourself toward. So... Often it's translated, because that's true, it's often translated literally just giving thanks. So you'll often find passages like Exodus 9, 29, uh, Psalm 63, 4, where it means just to give thanks. See, the reason that's true is because hands, as you see, we've already talked about this, hands literally cannot worship God. It's just not possible. And no more than a, you know, we're told to go into our closet and when we shut the door, pray to our father in secret, closets can't worship God. I mean, it's it's the idea behind it. So it's my heart, it's my mind that extends literally. It's more like, I guess what I would say, if you want to understand this word a little better, it's like what your heart does uh, when you cry like a, a child, uh, a child will extend their hand and says, hold me. But the significance is not the hand extending, but rather the heart that's extending to their parent and saying, hold me. It's the same thing as, as when you say thank you. Uh, you might put your hands forward and say, thank you so much for what you've done. But it, it is really the hands, it's the heart extending to you. Or when you raise your hands, I surrender. Uh, the idea is that it's the heart that's extending, the mind that's extending that concept. So yada 
means to cast, to show, to point, to revere, to worship with extended hands. So that's the literal meaning of it. Psalm 134 verse 2 is a good example of this. It says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with lifting your hands. In fact, uh, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8 says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. That is the person leading the prayer in this text. It's been in the context from verse 1 to verse 8 at least is discussing the assemblies in 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, I desire, this is Paul speaking, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, somebody says, well, do they have to lift their hands? Of course not. Of course, you don't have to lift your hands to make it an official prayer. This usually was just a way of identifying who led the prayer or that there was a prayer going on. You know, if you walk into a room and nobody is identified as a prayer leader, but they're talking, you may feel like it's okay to talk. You may feel like, but when it's a prayer going on, you you behave in a different way. So I don't know if you noticed it, but when I lead a prayer, I'm trying to at least in some semblance obey this passage. I raise my hands in prayer like this because there is no prescribed way to do it. Somebody says, oh, well, you got to put your hands up or you got to spread them out or it's not like that. It's not, a, but to do something that in, indicates that I am leading a prayer at that point. But it's far deeper than that. It's because it's not about your hands. So as only you can, yada. Here's what you are to do. You are to cast yourself toward. You're to show or point to God, to revere Him, and to extend yourself toward God. That's what we're doing. We're extending ourselves toward God. And it's not so much what happens with your hands, it's what happens with your heart and your mind. The third word, the holy praise word of Tuda. Now it's actually spelled T-O-D-A-H in English, but it's pronounced in Hebrew Tuda. And Tuda means give a sacrifice. This is a great word. And it's used quite a bit in the Old Testament. It means to give a sacrifice or praise or a thanksgiving for things not yet received. Now think about that. It is to give a sacrifice of praise. So when you say a praise, right, uh, that's called a sacrifice. We don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. Christ died for us. So that's not essential. But we are to offer sacrifices of praise. That is to say something that might even be difficult for us to say. So it's giving a sacrifice of praise or a thanksgiving for things not yet received. That's what it says. That's that's the meaning of the word, is to thank God for something that hasn't happened yet. Now, isn't that interesting? That's literally what the word means. And it can mean to shout or address with a loud voice. I don't know why that's significant, but it's part of the word as well. It's with an attitude of gratitude. So when you go to God in worship and everything's not working out in your life. You may be thinking, well, what I want to worship God? Everything's not working out in my life. Well, that's usually the case, by the way. I mean, everything's not working out in your life at any given point in your life. There's always problems. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have anything to do. But here's the point. God has promised deliverance, and we believe it. And so we are always 
reaching out to God and praising him, expecting further deliverance, expecting him to come through for us. So we praise with this faith and assurance that all is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. That's the idea. The idea that it is well with your soul, that you expect a victory just the same, that God will come through for you, and you are thanking him that he is a God like that, that will come through, that everything will work out. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of trouble in America this year. I mean, no one can deny where we've been in the last few months and even in the last few days. So, but you could say, Lord, I thank you that you're the God of, of this world, that you will somehow work this all out for those who believe. All things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose, and I thank you for it. And you can do that, and that is Tuda. Uh, Psalm 56 verse 1 says, and it's the context of this word, and the word is actually in verse 12, but I want to read a couple of verses ahead of that so you understand the, the meaning of the word in this text. It says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Things are going wrong in his life. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. See? Just trouble are all around him. Verse 2, My enemy would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Verse 3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Then in verse 11, it shifts. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verse 12, vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praise to you. Now, what he's saying is, I have vowed that I will praise you even when things are not going right. Tuda. That is the word for praised in this text. So it's in parallel. You say, well, where is that ever in the New Testament? A really great example of that is in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 41 through 43. You remember Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and at the tomb of Lazarus, he says a prayer before he calls Lazarus forth. And he says, Lord, I thank you that you've heard me. I, you always hear me, but I thank you that you've heard me. And then he says, Lazarus come forth. That's thanking. That's tuda. That's being grateful for what God is going to do, not just for what he has done. So only we can tuda, that is give thanks for things not yet received to the Lord. Certainly an instrument, certainly a mechanism does not think, little less can he do, the things that we're talking about here. God has called the heart of man to worship him. And that's the only thing that can worship him. Oh, you can include instruments in the event, but the instruments do nothing. You are the one that expresses that gratitude, that appreciation. The, the holy uh, praise of halal, uh, only we can halal, only we can praise and celebrate and boast about him and rave about him and be foolish over the Lord and just act like we're almost crazy. And the world sometimes thinks we are. Let them think what they want. And then the holy praise of yada. Only we can yada. Only we can cast or show or point or revere or extend ourselves toward the Lord and just lay it all in thanksgiving virtually toward the Lord. And then the holy praise of Tuda. Uh, only we can Tuda. Only we can give thanks for things not yet seen not yet received from the Lord. So let's, I think it would be appropriate since we have the history of being a part of the 
restoration movement. And since I'm using this concept of instrumental music, even though I'm, I'm not trying to condemn that today, I'm just simply trying to point to the fact that it is a part of our heritage, that we are a unity movement. We try to speak where the Bible speaks, and to be silent where the Bible is silent, in matters of faith, unity, in matters of opinion, liberty, and in all things, charity. We try the best we can to worship the way it's spelled out in the New Testament, and mechanical instruments are not mentioned in the New Testament, and I believe this is one of the major reasons, because we should be beyond that by now. We should see what really matters as what's going on in here. That's what really matters. And any other thinking is really kind of a little bit childish if you really think about it, because it's really nothing. It's not significant. The rest of it's more for me. It makes me happy. Alexander Campbell said this about it. Instrumental music in worship was well adapted to churches founded on the Jewish pattern of things and practicing infant sprinkling, that all persons singing who have no spiritual discernment, taste, or relish for spiritual meditation, consolations, and sympathies of renewed heart should call for such an aid is but natural. So do those who have no real devotion and spirituality in them and whose animal nature flags under the opposition or the oppression of church service. I think that instrumental music would be an essential prerequisite to fire up their soul to animal devotion. But I presume that to all spiritually minded Christians, such aid would be as a cowbell in a concert. Not really needed. Benjamin Franklin said this. Now, this is not the political Benjamin Franklin. This is the gospel preacher Benjamin Franklin. So you may not know who I'm talking about here. Uh, if anyone had told us 40 years ago that we would live to see the day where those professing to be Christians who claim the Holy Scriptures as their only rule of faith and practice, those under the command and who profess to appreciate the meaning of the command to observe whatever I've commanded you, would bring instruments of music into a worship assembly and use it there in worship. We should have repelled the idea as an idle dream. But this only shows how little we knew of what men would do or how little we saw of the power of the adver adversary, <laughs> adversary sorry, to subvert the purest principles, to deceive the hearts of the simple, to undermine the very foundation of all piety and turn the very worship of God itself into an attraction for the people of the world and entertainment or amusement. David Lipscomb said this, Neither he, talking about Paul, neither Paul nor any other apostle, nor the Lord Jesus, uh, nor any of the disciples for 500 years used instruments. This too in the face of the fact that the Jews had used instruments in the days of their pros uh, prosperity and that the Greeks and the heathen nations all used them in their worship. They were dropped out with such emphasis that they were not taken up till the middle of the Dark Ages and came in as part of the order of the Roman Catholic Church. It seems there cannot be doubt but that the use of instrumental music in connection with the worship of God, whether used as a part of the worship or as an attraction accompaniment, is unauthorized by God and violates the oft-repeated prohibition to add nothing to, take nothing from the commandments of the Lord. It destroys the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, 
and counts the blood of the Son of God unclean and tramples underfoot the authority of the Son of God. They have not been authorized by God or sanctified with the blood of his Son. That's what David Lipscomb said. J.W. McGarvey, probably one of the greatest scholars in the um, unity movement, the restoration movement, he said this, It is manifest that we cannot adopt the practice without abandoning the obvious and only ground on which a restoration of primitive Christianity can be accomplished or on which the plea for it can be maintained. Such is my profound conviction, and consequently, the question with me is not one concerning the choice or rejection of an expedient, but the maintenance or abandonment of a fundamental and necessary principle, which is that rule of, if it's not authorized, it's not from God. Robert Milligan, also a Restoration Movement guy, said, in the scheme of redemption, he called. He wrote this: "The tendency of instrumental music is in to divert the minds of many from the sentiment of the song to the mere sound of the organ, and in this way, it often serves to promote formalism in churches." Barton W. Stone said, "We have just received an extraordinary account about thirty thousand Methodists in England withdrawing from that church and." connection because the conference disapproved of the introduction of instrumental music to the churches. The full account shall appear in our next. To use Backwoods America, this conduct of those uh, cedar uh, cedars appear to be the cedar, excuse me, appear to be the extreme of the folly, and it argues that they have a greater taste for music than they have for religion. Earl West, and this is the last one I'll quote, a great scholar in our brotherhood, said, Apostasy in music among the 19th century churches that had endeavored to restore New Testament authority and worship and work began in the main following the Civil War in 1868. Ben Franklin guessed that there were 10,000 congregations and not over 50 had used an instrument in worship in the U.S. That's amazing. Worship in the holy Praise of the Lord can only be done by you and me, humans. Now we can say, you can think whatever you want on this subject. You can believe whatever you want on this subject. But you know what I just said is true. It's the only truth that I'm really pressing forward. A machine cannot praise God. But it can tickle my ears. It can make me feel like God would want such. Well, he may. But you know... He didn't tell me to do that. And, and besides that, if, if my heart's not in it, I'm a machine. And if all I'm thinking about is how pretty it is and try to make it sound pretty, I'm just being a machine. I'm not worshiping God. So what we have, I believe, in trying to be this simple is actually very precious. And most of the churches can't even go there now. Isn't that interesting? It's become such a part of their being that to not have it feels wrong. I think it's precious to not have it. And I'm not trying to condemn them for that. I'm out to praise what we have, to declare that in every biblical way, it's better because it actually focuses on the thing that we're really to do. So if I wish wish to truly worship him, and I really wish to follow his word, then I need to halal him in worship. I need to halal. I 
need to halal him. I need to praise him. I need to celebrate him. I need to boast about him. I need to rave, to be foolish over the Lord. I need to yada. I need to cast myself toward, to show, to point, to revere, to extend myself toward the Lord. I need to tuda. I, as a human, need to tuda. I need to give thanks for things I have not seen that I have no knowledge of how to come about, but to believe that God would come through for me and I need to praise him now before he's come through for me. So if I wish to live for him, I need to follow his word. Acts 2.38, if you'd read that, you'd like to study with us, we'd love to do that. Let, let us help you submit to his word in living for him and in worshiping him as he calls us to do. I think that if we could get our hearts moving in the right direction, suddenly we would really begin to find out what worshiping in spirit and the truth is. And it'd be a wonderful and a blessed moment, don't you think? Let's work at that. Let's all work at that. And let's care for the things that God has called us to do. Hope you have a blessed day. Thank you.